Our scripture lesson today is Philippians 2, verses 2 through 5, which can be found on page 173 in your New Testament Pew Bible. Make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Jesus Christ. Listen to the voice of the Spirit speaking to the church. Good morning. So over the last two Sundays, as part of our sermon series on being a good neighbor, we have asked you to think about your neighbor as the person in need, not dependent upon where they might call home. We've asked you to hold your neighbor with the compassion of the late, great Mr. Rogers. We've even asked you to think about your neighbor as God, the one who comes to us in our times of need. But today I'm taking this neighbor thing to a whole new level. I'm asking you to think of your neighbor not just across boundary and border, but across species. The particular species I have in mind is the Anus platyrhynchus more commonly known in the duck world as the mallard. And the particular mallard in mind is known by the name of Daisy. Now this spring, Daisy built a nest in the backyard of a townhome in the nearby neighborhood of Lowry. And into this nest, she laid eight eggs. Daisy spent her days dutifully watching her little potentials and only occasionally flew to the lake at the nearby park to eat and to stretch her legs. The owner of the home, thrilled that Daisy had chosen his yard, informed his neighbors of his good fortune and together they anxiously awaited the culmination of Daisy's hard work and God's good grace. But there was a problem. The homeowner calculated that he would be away on business right about the time that these eggs were to hatch. And while it was easy enough for Daisy to make her way over the wooden fence to come and go as she pleased, of course the little ducklings would not yet be able to fly. He considered having the back gate open But this seemed to invite some less desirable neighbors, like the coyote and the red fox. And I did a little research and learned that after ducklings are hatched, they they live for about 10 hours on the egg's yolk sac. But fairly soon, the mother needs to get them to water. At a loss, the homeowner reached out to his neighbors for ideas. One of them suggested that they try a little gizmo called a furbo. 
This is something her daughter, who lives in New York, had given to her. Ever heard of a furbo? No, me neither. So I looked that up too. A furbo is a plastic cylinder. It looks a little bit like an Alexa. And it's designed to help you keep an eye on your dog when you're away from home. It has a camera that syncs with your phone so you can watch your dog. It has a speaker so that you can talk to your dog. It even has a little button on the phone that you can push and a dog treat will shoot out of a hole in the bottom of Furbo. <laughs> I kid you not. But more pertinent for our story, Furbo also has the ability to detect motion and when it does, it will send a notification to you. So, before the homeowner left town, they hooked the Furbo up underneath the picnic table in the backyard with the camera pointing at the nest. If Furbo detected motion, it was supposed to send an email to the daughter in New York. And it worked. One night, she received the anticipated email then she, in turn, notified the designated neighbor in Lowry, who went over that morning to find Daisy and her babies, waiting for her to open the gate. Now, some of you grew up reading the classic children's book, um, Make Way for Ducklings. Author Robert McClowski could never have imagined this version of the story but it really was not so different as the neighbor that day followed Daisy and her brood down 6th Avenue, around the corner, over the curbs, watching for traffic, shooing away a hawk, and even once holding her hand so the ducklings could step up to the curb from the street. I kid you not. Mama and babies eventually arrived at the lake and slid in as if this had been the plan all along. On your bulletin cover, that is the real Daisy and her ducklings somewhere in Lowry. Now, I tell you this story because, well, it's a great story. I've been waiting to use this story. And it's summer and it's hot and we all need to smile more and to be reminded in these days that have so much bad news in the world, that good things happen too. And Clover and I have been throwing a lot of pretty serious themes at you this summer. And sometimes you just need a story about ducks. But just because it's a cute story does not mean that it's not also a valuable story. After all, is this example of being a good neighbor any less instructive because just because the one in need is covered in feathers? And perhaps from our anthropomorphic viewpoint, we might say so, but I doubt from God's and surely not from Daisy's. And isn't the impulse that rallied the neighbors to help a duck the same one that opens the heart to someone who's been injured or a child who's been lost? Isn't it the same sense of connection and interdependence and concern for others, no matter the form that it happens to take? 
In my last sermon, I pointed out that in the Good Samaritan story, Jesus puts the Jewish man in the, in the ditch instead of the Samaritan. Likely so that we would imagine ourselves in the more helpless position of the one in need rather than the more powerful position of the one who can help. But today, rather than ask you to imagine yourself as a duck, I want to ask you to tap full-heartedly into the experience of the one who can help. Imagine, for example, what it was, must have been like for that neighbor to open that gate and to follow those ducks down the walk, to feel them in her hand and watch them slide safely into that lake. To be of help is one of the most meaningful and gratifying experiences that this life brings us. I would go so far as to say we need it. Like air and water and peaches in August. We need to feel useful, beneficial, to be valuable. And when we don't, our lives can feel aimless and empty. What a gift to be able to help. But Daisy's story, if we're being honest, is a little misleading. Because how often do we get to literally open a gate and save a life? When do we ever, all in one morning, get to see the fruits of our labor and a happy ending? The truth is, most of the time, life doesn't work that way. We can press and press, but the gates that we would seek to open are often heavy and corroded and firmly entrenched. We can collect school supplies. We can sponsor a refugee. We can provide meals to those who are hungry. We can show up at the Capitol, but the problems are often so large that we wonder if it really makes much difference. Being in ministry, I have learned, is a practice in humility. As we sit with people who are suffering and grieving and are reminded of how little power any of us really has to affect change. It is rare indeed the day that I get to open a gate and see someone make their way to the cool relief of the lake. But I would say two things about this. First, it does make some difference, and often more difference than we can imagine. Our willingness to offer care and compassion, even if they don't solve much, can be life-saving in different ways to someone who's hurting. And second, maybe the part of Daisy's story that we should be paying attention to is not the happy ending, but the way the neighbors came together. It takes a village, as they say, and sometimes a furbo. And even then, we can't always bring the healing or the change that we seek, but there is something deeply meaningful about people coming together 
to work towards something that is worth their time. There is meaning and even joy in the helping, even when the gates remain stubbornly unmoved. The more I do this, the more I look for the gifts in the effort, not the outcome. In our scripture lesson this morning, Paul writes to the church at Philippi, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, then make my joy complete. To be of the same mind and having the same love and be in full accord and of one mind and do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, regard others as better than yourselves and let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And so let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And this is the aspect of being a neighbor I want to lift up for us today. The meaning that can come when neighbors together come and are of the same mind and of the same love and are caring for the needs of others. The purpose and the meaning that that can give our lives. Paul's words are a beautiful call to the meaning and joy of working for God's shalom, whether we get there today or not. And this is what this church, this is what we're all about. And it takes all kinds of forms, whether it's the finance committee wrestling over the budget, or Sunday schools, teachers working with our kids, or the youth group making a meal for the hungry, or all of us just showing up here today to check in on the people that you know and love and to pray for the world. So let us take heart from Paul and from Daisy. There is purpose in pressing our shoulders to the gate, especially when we have company to do it, even when we don't see the fruits of our labor the community and the sense of belonging that come with it, that is no small thing. And once in a while, the gates, they do budge just a little more. And another little duckling makes his way to the lake. And that is no small thing either. Thanks be to God.